All right, absolutely back to business. So in case you guys didn't know, let's say this. Around the end of December markets, well, not the end of December, around December 17th, before December 17th, matter of fact, we saw markets at like all-time highs. Bitcoin was trading at around 19500 on some exchanges. And on some exchanges in Korea, it was even over 20000 this so-called kimchi premium kimchi premium what we saw the difference between prices on korean exchanges versus prices on non-korean exchanges was at an all-time high we saw bitcoin at like nineteen thousand on coinbase and we saw it at around twenty-two thousand on huobi and other uh, korean exchanges so utter euphoria being spread throughout the market everybody was happy everybody was in a really really good place at the time and then what did we see we saw a series of Fear, uncertainty, and doubt spread throughout the market as markets begin to correct and then later crash. We saw Bitcoin go from 19,000 to 17,000, and some people thought it would hold. Then it just kept falling, falling, falling. Eventually, we fell below 10,000, and we saw utter despair start coming into the space. When I say utter despair, I don't know how it was for you guys, but typically, cryptocurrency or Bitcoin was so popular around my area at my job that everybody was talking about it or everybody at least mentioned it. Everybody was happy about it. Prices constantly kept going up and everybody thought it was going to happen like this forever. A lot of new people entered the market and with a lot of new people, you see a lot of uneducated people into the space and the things that happen in the space, such as these corrections, which happen, I don't want to say happen all the time, but they, they happen more so in crypto markets than other markets. So, now that you have that and you have a whole bunch of new players in the, in the uh, game, when prices started to correct around December 17th and uh, so on and so forth, we saw despair into the market. Everybody was sad. Um, it's also important to note several of the important news, news articles we've seen since then are the SEC's hearing on uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, Google banning cryptocurrencies, Facebook banning cryptocurrencies, everyone or mom banning cryptocurrency ads, excuse me. Not everybody and their mom, but to be specific, Google, Facebook, MailChimp. Um, who else am I missing? Oh, Twitter. They're all banning ads in the case of MailChimp. What MailChimp is doing is MailChimp is banning people from creating email lists related to like ICOs and whatnot. So, bam, everybody and their mother is getting screwed. Or well, hopefully mothers aren't getting screwed, but ICOs, people who are doing ads, all that other jazz, they're all getting screwed in this matter. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Well, let's look at it. Some people would argue it's a good thing because it gives more credence to legitimate projects because some people say that legitimate projects really don't need advertising. I mean, look at Bitcoin, look at Ethereum. Do they really, really need heavy advertising like that where you have all these ICOs buying hundreds of thousands of dollars worth worth of advertisements? And just uh, some, some articles say that around 80% of ICOs are not successful. According to news.bitcoin.com, there are two other articles that show lower numbers than 80%. But with statistics like that, that out there, it's no wonder why you see um, places, not places, but it's no wonder why you see companies like Google moving to ban ads and cryptocurrency mining extensions altogether. So compared to the market, and I want to say October, November, December, we were in a completely different landscape in terms of news and regulatory action. We've seen the SEC put their put their um, magnifying glass on numerous ICO projects, most notably charging or bringing fraud charges in civil court to the founders of Censure who raised $32 million in 
an ICO, an initial coin offering. Think of it in layman's terms, like an IPO, where people are raising money, where companies are raising, you know, raising money from investors for a stock to release a stock. In the case of cryptocurrencies, uh, a company or a group of developers is raising money to fund their crypto project. Think of it like that. So the Centra founders are being charged with fraud after raising $32 million in their ICO for the Centra project. In case you didn't know, Centra plans to release crypto debit cards, which they have already released. So it's going to be interesting to see why fraud charges were brought up against them. So there's your kind of a uh, little tidbit on what's been going on, but we're going to continue this in the next session. Alibaba, good old Ali, 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 Alibaba. Why are we talking about Alibaba? So in case you guys did not know, in case you guys didn't know, Alibaba is suing the creators of Alibaba coin. Why are they doing this? You may ask. They're suing the creators of Alibaba coin in the case of misappropriating the Alibaba brand. There's no connection between Alibaba and Alibaba coin. They're saying that people are confusing the two things in terms of their brand. The brand is being misappropriated in Alibaba coin because it contains the words Alibaba. Several news articles have also reported that Alibaba coin has been created by the founders of Alibaba. The association is not true. Alibaba has no association with Alibaba coin. And basically what you're seeing is, again, misappropriation of the Alibaba brand in the eyes of Alibaba. So they're taking these guys to court. And it's also important to know that Alibaba coin has raised $3.5 million in an ICO. So some people would say that Alibaba coin used the Alibaba brand or misappropriated misappropriated the Alibaba brand for the purpose of raising $3.5 million in an ICO. Why is this a bad thing? Well, because if this comes out to be true or if it's true in court or whatever, you know, this is another case of this, this, how do I say this? This legitimizes or this gives credence to the fact of all these companies like Google, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and MailChimp not wanting to deal with ICOs or anything in a crypto space when you have people using other people's brands, whether it be accidentally or maliciously, hopefully it's not maliciously for the purpose of raising ungodly amounts of money that you normally could not do in any other market. So in a grand scheme of things, this takes, this makes the space look bad in my opinion. Now with that aside, regulators are also looking at projects such as Alibaba coin and they're saying, Hey, like, you guys can't be doing this because it's bad for investors. It's bad, maybe not bad for the crypto space, or maybe they, they don't, it is bad for the crypto space, but they're not regulating it because they care about the crypto space. They're regulating it because in their, in my opinion, they quote unquote care about investors. Uh, you can take that however you want, but yeah, because they care about investors and quote, they more or less are coming in and they're like, Hey, projects like this, projects like BitConnect, Projects like uh, Munchies, look it up. Munchies was another an ICO that got shut down by the SEC because they did not register. They were offering the sale of unregistered securities, according to the SEC. Bad stuff. Very, very bad stuff in the eyes of the SEC. Easy way to get shut down. Put the volume down a little bit. Easy, 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 easy. And I repeat one more time. Easy way to get shut down. If you get shut down by the SEC, it's not a good thing because you could you you, you could face some harsh penalties. But uh, yeah, there you go. There you go about that. Moral of the story is regulators are looking at these projects and they are taking action, but at the same time, they can only take so much action on some of these projects. You have projects that are being offered outside of the United States and because that's outside of the jurisdiction of the United States, if they are not selling to 
U.S. investors, there's not much the SEC can do outside of that. But if they are selling to U.S. investors, then the SEC can take action on some of these projects. So if you're hosting a project or if you plan on hosting a project in the near future, pay attention to the regulatory landscape because every single day it's becoming more difficult to hold ICOs. All right, all right, all right. We are back today, and we ain't done. We ain't done. We keeping it going. So what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about good old Lightning Network. In case y'all did not know, you guys, in case you guys did not know, Lightning Network was released on the mainnet. The beta was released on the mainnet for people to use, and people have been using it, using it, but I got bad news for you, or maybe it's good news. It's being attacked for its own good, according to Coindesk. So basically, there's a user going by the pseudo name. I mean, going by the anonymous name, BitPico, and he's told to Coindesk what many people have confirmed that they've been reading in popular chat groups that the pseudonymous user was flooding nodes on the Lightning Network that were running the software with uh, traffic, which with an automated toolkit, I quote. Around the same time, a handful of developers were reporting their nodes crashing, their Lightning nodes crashing, which temporarily stopped them from sending payments using the technology designed for faster and cheaper Bitcoin transactions. A little bit of a... A little bit of history for you guys, especially uh, in late 2017 and early 2018, Bitcoin was plagued with high, high, high and high transaction fees. Why was this the case? Because it's a scalability issue. You have a whole bunch of people using, using the network. The fees on the network go up and because miners, higher fees will let miners prioritize or it's an, it's an incentive for miners to prioritize certain transactions over others. So fees end up being ridiculously high because a lot of people are using it and they want their transactions to go through. So fees go up in proportion to the amount of people transacting, if that makes sense. So Lightning Network is a scalability solution, a layer two scalability solution, which basically provides these payment channels, which allow parties to more or less settle a lot of transactions on these payment channels in a very, very fast manner because these transactions are performed off chain, they're opened on chain, and then the transactions are handled um, in this payment channel. And then once these payments are done, they're settled, all, they're settled on the blockchain, if that makes sense. Think of it like a bar tab. When you are sending transactions to somebody on a bar tab, you don't just go back to the bar 100 times and then swipe every single time that's inefficient. You go to the bar, you open up a tab, and then once this tab is opened up, you know, you're 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 transacting and everything, everything, and then you close that tab and then you pay for that final transaction. Think of Lightning Network kind of like that. So now that we have that out the way, the development comes more and more. I mean, sorry, it comes as more and more users have started using Lightning Network to send real payments. This is back to the article now with some bumps along the way. And just a couple of weeks after Lightning Labs, one of these several startups that is building Lightning Network, it's important to know that there isn't one implementation of it. There are multiple implementations of Lightning Network that are being built, and they're all going to be interoperable. The attacks were a strange incident in which people's funds were safe, actually, and money was not being stolen. So typically, like, there are cases where people can transact in lightning networks. And if you're a malicious party, you can try to broadcast a previous state of a particular uh, channel that, that you're using to transact with somebody, in which case you would get penalized by having all the funds that you were, uh, that you had staked in this channel being taken up 
being um, given to the party who you try to perform a malicious action to. So in this particular case, though, with these nodes being taken down, funds were not being stolen. The nodes were just being taken down. So it's strange because people's funds were safe. So in fact, those including BitPico who were attacking the network might even be losing money because you have to put up money to uh, start to start up a lightning channel. One of the first people who noticed the attacks was BitRefill developer Justin uh, Camarena, and he was able to fix his company's node easily. So people were just really annoyed. It didn't seem like people were losing funds except the attackers. A lot of people were pissed off. To continue on with the article, he's confused as to why anyone is going to attack these lightning nodes without gaining money. Why are you just, you just taking them down for fun? You know, you're wasting your money doing this. There's no monetary incentive to do this. Like, like why, honestly? So he's wondering why they don't just report this on GitHub so developers could fix the bugs. And I'm going to end this here and continue this article in the next section. All right, all right, all right. So he continues to say it wasn't really an attack to steal the funds, but it was to make an, a statement bit the bit refill developer said. Uh, Camarina is the bit refill developer. He told us the CoinDesk. And at first, many people had the same impression. It was just to make a statement since BitPico had been a vocal supporter of a controversial scaling initiative and had continued to espouse the benefits of increasing the block size parameter, even after most network participants ditched the effort to increase the block size. But according to BitPico, the attacks aren't just more politics. They're all about safety. So according to BitPico, he's doing this for safety. He's taking these nodes down for safety purposes because he needs to make sure that, you know, the, the integrity of these things is being held up. Oops, sorry about that. He needs to make sure that the integrity of these things is being held up. And as people with investments into, you know, Bitcoin, crypto, we want to make sure that these layer two solutions don't get don't get out of the gate. Trying as many attacks as possible is the only way to make sure. So he's trying to say before these things, you know, get on a big scale. We got to make sure that, you know, we, we, we try to take them down ourselves and we try to, we, we try to, you know, prepare for these bad situations and more or less um, make sure that we are adequately, we can adequately hand these situations. And from the looks of it, it seems like there are situations that are causing these nodes to go down these lightning nodes that um, the developers have not accounted for. So he's saying this is for its own good. And you could argue that, too, rightfully so, because it's better that he's taking these nodes down now before. I mean, we're we're at scale with these things, you know, before hundreds of thousands of people are using this, eventually millions. Right. Maybe even billions. If we if we were to somehow get to that scale, billions of people using this thing and nodes can easily just be taken down with these attacks. I mean, that's 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 not a good thing. So to me, it seems like it's a good thing, but it's kind of extra. and It's annoying, but it's something that has to happen. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, zero day vulnerabilities are security holes that aren't known to developers of a project. Usually they're exploited by hackers in hopes of stealing data before a vulnerability is patched. You know, in the case of this, um, maybe no data is being stolen versus data being discovered to the public on how these nodes are being taken down so early. But I, I couldn't see any data being stolen. But his attacks, which started about 10 days ago, are all about stress testing the software lightning network before more people start using it. And BitPico's plan seems to be working to a degree. According to him, 22 different attack vectors have been found. And the pseudonymous user plans to continue the attacks for a couple of weeks. Until you guys get this fixed, he is going to take these nodes down. Rightfully so. Because if he could take them down, imagine if somebody malicious was doing this thing. 
just taking them all down, bogging up the network. Again, I don't know why they would do this, but someone who goes rogue, get pissed, gets pissed, don't even care. Like, imagine him doing this, man. Like, bro, really? What are you? So his attacks are prompting the developers to do that, taking action, putting forward various fixes, and many developers believe these current attacks will set the Lightning Network up for success. So, well, it is crazy, brazy, whatever form, you know, if you're B's or C's, while it is crazy, it's necessary, man. It's, it's a necessary evil or a necessary good, however you want to look at it. Frankly, somebody quotes, I quote, that's to be expected for any service that is exposed to the Internet and it doesn't qualify as a real attack in my view. Nonetheless, it's still attack. The uh, CEO, Pierre-Marie uh, Padieu of, of uh, Async, ACINQ, a French startup behind another Lightning client, said that. Um, developer Alex Bosworth said that he started using the firewall software called IP tables to prevent his traffic from disrupting legitimate transactions. But the attacks are ongoing and are being propagated by these users like BitPico, which they have to, sorry about that, they're being propagated by users like BitPico opening tiny payment channels, which they have to pay a fee for opening. So it's kind of weird. You're, you're paying money to create a denial of service to these nodes, to Lightning nodes. So he's wasting money doing this, but nonetheless, he's still taking them down. Um, so this is going to be a problem in the future, or this this is this is a challenge now. I'll say that it's a challenge now for developers to fix this, but it's going to be fixed in the future. That's what it seems like I'm getting from um, the news that I'm taking in today. Still, the attacks are what Bosworth and Cam Camarina would call an annoyance. They're more annoying because you're wasting money and there's no monetary incentive for you to do this, but you're still doing it. Um, so some people would say these are accidents while others would say they're attacks, but um, these lightning dossers do seem organized and motivated and it's important to note that. And we are back. The final question or better yet, the segment we're going to do now is the question of the day. And this is just a segment where somebody sends me a question. I just pick random questions that people ask me and we just answer one of the podcast. So what are we going to do? The question I was asked was, what kind of crypto regulations should we expect in 2018? Well, we can definitely expect these are just some things off of the top that I'm thinking about based off of the news that I've read and just where I see things going in terms of regulators and where, you know, where I think their heads are based off of what I've seen. So, I mean, we can definitely expect some type of regulation for ICOs, be it stricter KYC, be it stricter penalties for people hosting illegal ICOs, offering the sale of unregistered securities, especially in the United States. I can't speak for other countries, but I know that the SEC has its magnifying glass on basically every project now in the United States. Um, and they are, you know, they're bringing down a hammer, it seems. Uh, we've seen Centra, who's raised $32 million in their ICO. Um, the founders are being charged with fraud. We've seen an ICO called Arise Bank, which I think they raised around like 200 mil. Correct me if I'm wrong. They raised some crazy amount of money in their ICO. They're being, they, they got hit with the hammer a couple months ago. Um, we've also seen a couple of cease and desist letters being sent to ICOs by the state of Texas, mainly BitConnect X by the Texas State Securities Board. That's the regulator in Texas for securities and North Carolina as well. And also we've seen Massachusetts bring down the hammer on a couple ICOs, I wanna say that. So it seems like ICOs for the most part in the United States are being hit with the hammer. Um, so in the United States, I can say that expect stricter regulations for ICOs, but in terms of what kind, 
I mean, I'd say that there, there has to be some type of guidance for ICOs that is going to be released by the SEC on basically how they want you to conduct an ICO in the United States. I mean, what, what are we seeing in response to this? We're seeing countries exclude the U.S. outright from ICOs, and there's ways around that. But for the most part, they're banning U.S. investors from participating in their ICOs because they don't want that smoke. They don't want to deal with that. Um, in, in other countries, we're seeing crypto regulations on exchanges. Uh, I can definitely say some exchanges may be forced to have stricter KYC, know your customer. Uh, basically, some exchanges allow you to operate under anonymous accounts up until a certain amount, and then you're going to have to do KYC. With that KYC comes the chances of the tax man of whatever country you're in. If you're in the United States, the IRS coming after you and you having to pay capital gains tax long term or short term on the cryptocurrencies that you've been trading. So I can say that we're going to see maybe stricter KYC on some exchanges, some exchanges banning anonymous accounts, which um, South Korea has already done. Some countries banning crypto exchanges outright like China. Some countries either having stricter guidance on ICOs, banning ICOs outright fully or um, yeah, like like the United States, not 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 like the United States, excuse me, but guidance, just guidance on ICOs in the United States, how to properly conduct an ICO in the United States in terms of guidance, other countries banning it, uh, some countries doing what the United States does. And um, here you go. So we talked about ICOs. We talked about uh, exchanges. What else is there to talk about? Cryptocurrencies in general. I mean, we, we could see some countries in the future adopting crypto as a form of legal tender, some countries choosing to be indifferent, some countries banning it outright. Some countries have banned it outright, I believe. I think like Algeria, some of the um, Middle Eastern countries have banned Bitcoin outright as legal tender. You can't use it, but that's not going to stop people from using it. And some people could argue in the future with the current gro gro growth rate of Bitcoin and crypto in general, it could become economically disadvantageous for such countries to have uh, such policies towards crypto. So, I mean, there you go with that. Um, let me think. What else? What else? What else? Um, so, I mean, legal tender uh, regulation in terms of projects. Um, like we're seeing this whole discussion of utility tokens versus pretty much everything else. We could see some um, we could see less. We could see tax advantages or maybe not tax advantages, but we could see lower taxes or no taxes for utility tokens as in the state of Wyoming. In the state of Wyoming, you don't pay taxes. Cryptocurrencies have been ruled as property. Some have utility tokens have, and you don't pay property tax on those. So we, it's important to know that we we are going to see pro regulation, good regulation, as much as we're going to see bad regulation. So just keep an eye out for that this year.